From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we have our headlines and some reader emails. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, 2022, the last day of the month. And we're heading into December, and I can't believe we're almost done with 2022. I have some reader emails that I want to get into, but I'm going to do that in today's headline section uh, because we have not many headlines today. And I want to look at those crypto prices because they're interesting. Let's get into that. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And the time is 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I said the crypto prices are interesting, and they are. Bitcoin is up 2.6% in 24 at $16,840. Ethereum's up almost 5% in 24 at $1,264. It's up 9.2% in 7. Tellers number 3, BNB is at 299 pretty much even from yesterday. And USDC is number 5. Rounding off the top 10, we have BUSD, XRP, Dogecoin, which is up 3%. It's at 10.4 cents. It's up 32% in 7. Sorry, just changed to 10.5 cents. Cardano is number 9. And Polygonmatic is number 10. If you're wondering what Litecoin is doing, Litecoin is sitting at $78, up 3% in 24. And where is Solana? It's at number 16, at $13.55, down 0.3%. The total market cap is sitting at $851 billion, up 2.2% in 24. We have a BTC dominance of 38% and F dominance rising to 18.2. Moving into some listener emails. Yesterday, I got an email from Andres Diaz. And he wrote in and said, Matthew, I'm a big fan of your daily podcast. I started listening two months ago. And since then, I haven't missed an episode. And I want to say thank you very much to that. I like the way you explain each of the topics and how you address the complexity of this ecosystem. Last week, I wrote a reflection that I was going to post on LinkedIn, but I did not do it. However, it addressed one of the questions you asked yesterday related to the role of public figures and advertising. And here is what he wrote to be posted on LinkedIn. I don't think he was expecting it to be read on the show today, but here it is. I spent two weeks reading the news and listening to many podcasts about the FTX collapse. In the beginning, I was very surprised and trying to understand what was going on, but then I started to get mixed feelings. I'm a true believer that blockchain is an amazing technology which is going to impact the world in an unimaginable way. I consider cryptocurrencies a fascinating use of blockchain and one that could help countries such as Argentina and Venezuela solve their economic problems or give those societies the freedom to do what they want with their money. Most of the people who do not like cryptocurrencies or do not understand them consider the last two weeks as a win. And he's referring to FTX and basically everything tumbling down and the exposure of what Sam Bankman-Fried was doing and probably how legislators and lawmakers are going to look at regulations. He continues, other parts of society feel more scared about cryptocurrencies now than a month ago. 
But in my opinion, the events show me that cryptocurrencies are the future and decentralization is crucial and needed in today's world and it's no more just nice to have. Nobody, nor our governments, nor the best VCs in the world, did their own research. Does that sound familiar? Elizabeth Holmes just heard her sentence at the court. Remember, Elizabeth Holmes just got 11 years. Is it okay to give an insane amount of money to someone who has not done anything, has no track record, just a nice background, and a promised idea, and they do not check what they're doing with that money? How much responsibility do all the VCs, celebrities, and Forbes have in the FTX fraud? I think they're just as much responsible as SBF. Without their support, I have the feeling that SBF would have been just working at a tech company as an engineer. What if whatever you do with the money is shown on a blockchain? You can track the money you invest in a startup without making any questions to the owner of the idea. I hope that this time we don't have to wait four years to see ones in charge go to jail for fraud. This is just my reflection. I'm not a crypto expert, not even close. Any feedback is welcome, but also encouraged. Thank you for writing that email and thank you for listening to the show. I have a couple comments on your email and I'm going to take that in order. So first, you said, what if whatever you do with the money is shown on the blockchain? You could track all the money you invest in a startup without making questions to the owner of the idea. And I want to say that that's what Bitcoin's for. That's what Bitcoin was created for, is to make sure everything was transparent. Now, there's individual privacy and then there's public good. And I think that that's one thing that the Bitcoin community over the past decade was trying to understand how to deal with. Uh, there's the payment methods as well. On-chain transactions provide transparency. And you need transparency in banking, in institutions, and transactions, uh, investments, and so on and so forth. So basically what you just said is why Bitcoin was created. Now, privacy protocols were created because people wanted to transact and not have all of their net worth or all of their transaction exposed. So they're trying to create a privacy aspect of Bitcoin so that transactions could still allow for individual privacy and freedoms. And so basically, you're having a conversation that's been having for the past decade. And basically, crypto has been hijacked from its original ideas because of people wanting to make, I guess, a neo-banking system that operated the same way as fractional banking and the uh, lack of transparency that the banking and investment systems, current investment systems and banking uses so people could basically make new products and get rich. Now, moving into responsibility of VCs, I don't think VCs have responsibility in this because that is what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to invest money into crazy ideas and help these companies go to fruition. And so how do VCs have accountability? VCs have accountability because if they make poor investments, their LPs will get pissed and nobody will invest with them anymore. You, VCs can't use people's money. People will not trust you with their money. So, so investing well is important for VCs. And investing in crazy ideas sometimes work. I mean, who invested in the chip clip? <laughs> probably somebody got rich off of the chip clip. It was a crazy idea. It probably wasn't supposed to work, but it did. And, I, and that was a horrible example, probably. But you do need to pay, take risks. And there are companies out there by great founders and great people with great ideas uh, that just need capital. Elizabeth Holmes, on the other hand, was a fraudster, and she's going to jail for it. Sam McMurfried is an alleged fraudster. Now, looking at celebrities, celebrities, I don't think, should have responsibility for this or influencers because this is how they make their money is they get paid to advertise. And I think there's a line where you were putting your name on a product and saying, go ahead and go get this, go get this and do it now and kind of like shilling the product or just reading a script and advertising for a product and then the companies, the marketers, the using your influence in your network to promote a product. I think some people would, you know, just say, I don't want to put my name on a product, for example. Like me, I would never advertise for Coca-Cola or Pepsi. I think the product is horrible. But do I blame somebody for making big paydays for 
advertising for Pepsi and Coca-Cola? Absolutely not. Actually, I'm going to take that back. Pepsi, Coca-Cola, <laughs> you give me a million dollars, I would definitely advertise for you. It, but it's horrible for you. I do have a Coca-Cola every once in a while. Coca bottle, real sugar. It's my jam. But, ooh, and Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper, hit me up over Coke and Pepsi any day. But I think that you nailed one right on the head. Media and journalists. Media and journalists were supposed to be doing their due diligence and digging down on this. That's their job. And they failed us. So, media companies and journalism, you're not doing it anymore. You're just copy-paste, spreading headlines, creating rumors, and buzz. Thank you again for writing in. The next email I got was from my lawyer friend, Jeff, and he was replying to somebody who asked about, could they have or file a class action lawsuit against uh, FTX or Three Arrows Capital or anybody who downed the market because they invested in mining and now they're hurting because (laughs) they take the market? And Jeff wrote this email. By the way, Jeff is involved with the class action lawsuit against Facebook and how they collect data from hospitals. Super interesting. I asked him to come on the show because this might be not crypto related, but it's tech related and people shouldn't understand how devious some of these companies are. Anyway, here's how Jeff answered. He said, sorry for the delayed reply, but for the listener who wanted to bring a class action case relating to mining, it's not that simple. We bring class action cases on full contingency. Plenty of cases should be brought, but at the end of the day, is there someone to collect from? We easily lay out six figures in hard costs, meaning money out the door, and invest millions of dollars in time without guarantee of payment. Further, you always have to be able to prove that the defendant is liable and that they caused the injury. So connecting the dots against a company for getting into mining when it does not work out seems like a tough case to me. Of course, that's just my one attorney's opinion. And so basically what he's saying is, look, a lot of these people take on, a lot of these lawyers take on these cases by putting in all of this money and time, just sunk costs, in the hopes of a future payout. And usually these lawyers get around 40 to 50% of whatever is paid out. But again, they're doing this pro bono until they win. And if they lose, <laughs> they're just SOL. And so for them to take a case like this, they have to have like a path, a clear path of who's going to pay and a clear path of victory. And in this case, it looks as though he thinks that there's no clear path of who is responsible for your purchase of my equipment or the downfall of the Bitcoin market. Even though there's a lot of people, a lot of companies that were responsible for the down of the market, who are you going to collect from? They're all bankrupt. Anyway, thanks, Jeff, for writing in. And thank you very much for your question about mining and class action lawsuits. And our final email today was from BlockFi, and they were updating people on their Chapter 11. They said this earlier today, BlockFi's first day Chapter 11 hearing was held. The important dialogue with the court today will set the foundation of our Chapter 11 cases as we strive to maximize value for our stakeholders. We look forward to engaging with the Office Committee of Unsecured Creditors, UCC, which we expect will be made up primarily of clients. Throughout the hearing, we reiterated our singular focus, maximizing value for our clients and our stakeholders. We also shared the important context of BlockFi, our clients, our values, and our path forward. We were grateful to the court for offering us time to lay out the foundation and communicate information transparently. All motions we put forward were approved by the court. Notably, the court agreed to, on an interim basis, allow us to redact the names, addresses, and contact information of individuals and clients from the list of our 50 largest creditors, which we will submit to the court. Client privacy is our top priority during our cases, which I just wanted to note that this was not the case in Celsius. Celsius published everybody, everybody who had money 
on Celsius. I believe the judge allowed it to be out there. And somebody got that information, which was just a spreadsheet, uh, made a website. So everybody, every client of Celsius was searchable. Their name, how much money they had in Celsius, how much Bitcoin, Ethereum, so on and so forth, their trades. It was absolutely horrible what they did to their clients. In that case, at least. This is good, but you see that there is not like a balance of, of what the procedure is or any precedent. So that has to be worked on. Continuing with this email, the court also approved multiple motions that would enable BlockFi to continue core operations during this process, including granting us the authority to pay our critical vendors and employee wages. As part of our presentation in court, we also expressed our intention to request approval from the court to restore withdrawal activities for BlockFi wallet accounts. Information regarding cases can be found at the link in the show notes. So if you want to follow this, follow the link in the show notes, restructuring.ra.crawl.com slash BlockFi, and you'll find the link in the show notes. Moving into some headlines. Brazil passed a law legalizing cryptocurrencies as a means of payment throughout the country. Brazil's Chamber of Deputies approved a regulatory framework legalizing the use of cryptocurrencies as a means of payment in the country. The document provides the inclusion of virtual currencies and frequent traveler rewards from airlines in a definition of payment agreements under the supervision of the country's central bank. The law, which is already approved, only requires the signature of the President of the Republic to be enacted. It gives legal status to payments in cryptocurrencies for goods and services, but does not grant them the status of legal tender. DeFi lenders Ave and Compound have implemented new safety measures in light of ongoing turmoil in the crypto markets. On Sunday, Ave executed a proposal to freeze the markets of 17 different assets in the Ave V2 lending pool on the Ethereum network, including Wi-Fi, Curve, GUSD, Maker, and One-inch tokens. Ave accounts for $3.7 billion and Compound accounts for $1.7 billion worth of the total value locked in the DeFi ecosystems. Ave founder and CEO told Decrypt, DeFi protocols are being battle-tested and highlights how communities can implement new parameters to enhance risk mitigation factors in volatile market environments that are fast-moving. It has been fascinating to watch the DeFi community discuss, propose, vote, and implement new parameters with incredible transparency to adopt and safeguard the protocol. This is what DeFi is all about. And finally, we can't leave this podcast without talking about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried on Tuesday had an interview with Tiffany Fung, and he tried to clear the air on a couple of subjects. The first one was the hack, the FTX hack, that happened on the night of the Chapter 11 bankruptcy. He said he narrowed it down to eight people who could have done it. He doesn't know which one it was, but he's saying that it was either a former FTX employee or someone who installed malware on a former employee's computer. FTX also denied the allegations that he built in a backdoor to FTX's system to siphon, off 10 million, to siphon off $10 billion of funds to Alameda Research. He said, I don't even know how to code. I literally never opened the code base for any of FTX. Which is strange, but anyway. But Sam Bankman-Fried said before he lost access to FTX's systems, he was exploring FTX's systems to try to determine who moved hundreds of millions of dollars from FTX's account without the company's permission. He said, in quote, I don't know exactly who because they shut off access to the systems when I was halfway through exploring it. Tiffany also asked Sam about donations to the Democratic Party. He said, well, he also donated to the Republican Party and he hid it from the media so they wouldn't freak the fuck out. This is a quote. 
He said, I donated the same amount to both parties. Remember in 2020, Sam Bankman-Fried was the largest donor to President Biden at about $5.2 million and around 6.2 from Alameda Research. Sam was openly supporting Democratic candidates. He said, all my Republican donations were dark. In practice, no one can fathom the idea that someone can actually give dark money. He said he donated dark money to avoid public scrutiny and to have reporters freak the fuck out if you donate to Republicans. And he called them super liberal, and he said that he didn't want to have that fight. So in summary, we do know Sam was a big Democratic donor, but he basically was a big Republican donor. He was playing both sides of the aisle. He just wanted to make sure that whatever he did, he had people in Washington on both sides of the aisle to get his back. And it's very interesting that he had that idea about media and the journalists. What do you think? Do you think he played it right? Matthew Ernest Crypto.co. But he also had one more thing he wanted to address. And he wanted to address rumors that he helped Ukraine launder funds for the Democratic Party. And he said there's no evidence to support the claim that Ukraine invested in or gave money to FTX. He said, I wish I were part of an international conspiracy because that would be interesting. He also said that he doesn't know why Ukraine would launder funds for the Democrats or in which way someone would launder the funds. You know, with these interviews, I just want to say that can we actually believe anything that comes out of his mouth? I mean, he built a whole brand, honestly, being dishonest. Like, we thought he was one way. He turned out to be a different way. We thought that he was this altruistic, you know, generous giver, and he was just doing that for marketing. We thought that he was only giving to the Democrats because he had this one Democratic left-leaning vision. And we know now he was giving to the Republicans, too. And it was just because he wanted political favors from Washington. Can we trust anything that comes out of his mouth? He keeps giving these interviews. We keep listening to what he says. But does his words actually even have any weight, have any value, have any credibility? Let me know. Matthew Ernest Crypto.co. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. I'll be back tomorrow. And until then, please go to Apple iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a good comment. And until Thursday, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>